to end if love remains a unique show spotlighting people ideas science culture and art your host mike lovett mike lovett Thank you, Rachel. This is Mike Lovett, and you are indeed listening to And If Love Remains. I am your host, again, once the, the as for or mentioned, <laughs> Mike Lovett, and I am here with a very special guest, a friend of the program. So glad to have him on again, Mr. Keith Knight, the managing editor of the Libertarian Institute, the host of the Don't Tread on Anyone podcast, and the author of um, and editor of the new book, The Voluntarist Handbook. So glad to have you on, Keith. Thank you for uh, having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Oh, man, I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation um, and talk about all the things that, that you're doing and working on, especially this this book, The Voluntarist Handbook. Um, I, I just want to get a few things out of the way, first of all, um, um, because I, I know when people hear you talk about this and as we discuss this, they're going to want to get this book. Where can, Where is the best way that you want people to to pick this book up and find it? libertarianinstitute.org. You can look at the book section. There's a uh, button to uh, click on, uh, right there, a link rather to click on, and you'll uh, you'll get an option to purchase it through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or you could download a free PDF from archive.org or odyssey.com. We really wanted to uh, make this freely available this way. Uh, anyone uh, who is interested will uh, easily have uh, an opportunity. And of course, I uh, was granted the copyright. So anyone who wants to copy any part of the book, please do. We uh, see it as uh, just uh, playing a uh, vital role in the you know uh, quest for freedom. Absolutely. It's, it, this is a really important tool in the liberty movement, and I'm really, really happy to, to talk to you about it. And, and you know, there are a few guys... Um, Having you on before and and hearing you uh, you know speak to other people, I, I I heard you on the Tom Woods show not too long ago, um, and you know you, there are a few guys that has kind of the depth of knowledge and, and knows their stuff like like you do. So uh, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, for, first, because I'm interested in this stuff, I'm I'm a weirdo this way. I'm really interested in in dedications and things like that. Who who is Edward Stringham? Edward Stringham, I believe, wrote chapter 15 of this. Yes, how private governance made the modern world possible. So Ed Stringham was one of uh, the first videos I came across on learnliberty.org when I was sort of just going around researching uh, what are, uh, you know, some of the uh, competing political views of the world. And he sort of has this specialty where he will make a theoretical claim that kind of sounds bizarre. So we'll start and say, you know, I, I think that uh, instead of having a monopoly state, I think if there were voluntary organizations, they would sort of come together and work together and provide goods and services and have, you know, a system of governance where there were rules and standards that could be voluntarily uh, imposed. Um, or only uh, coercively imposed in defense against aggressors. 
And it gets you in a way of thinking, well, that sounds like a nice theory, but it's a little pie in the sky. And then he goes, well, there's actually ancient merchant law, which was, uh, you know, all these uh, countries in Europe, France, Italy, Germany, Russia. The reason people were able to travel and trade without there being one king of all of Europe is because they had developed uh, patterns of exchange rules and standards of their own. And if people didn't meet those standards, then they would disassociate with them. And this was merchant law. So then the viewer saying, okay, that was then, this is now, the world is so much more complex, that could never happen. So he goes, well, uh, instead of, you know, us having uh, voluntary security organizations and these, they're always going to war. The reason that they would work together is because it's in their financial interest to do so. So, for example, if you have a website, Zencaster.com, and you have a different company called Google, they might work together. So you could use Google Chrome and go to Zencaster. And then another company, Apple, would have a computer and you're able to use that. And then another company would have a microphone. And they would work with them to make sure it's all compatible and the same customer can use all these. And then a different company, CenturyLink, can provide internet. So this all works, uh, this uh, all connects together. So notice that he takes you from theory to history to the present and says, not only is this re realistic, we see it in every single part of our day. So because Ed Stringham was so, so brilliant in getting people both on theoretical, moral, historical, and practical grounds, I said, gosh, he, he really is uh, the, the guy to uh, dedicate this to because it, it he was definitely the uh, person who made me go from anyone who believes in something like volunteerism is a complete moron. I don't even know how they put their shoes on the right foot in the morning. And then uh, probably after like one hour of, uh, you know, listening to his videos and stuff, I said, this is an extremely reasonable position. So that was one of the biggest moves. It, it's not like, you know, I said, I'm fully convinced, but I said, wow, I am very open to this. Whereas if you would have asked me an hour ago, I would have said this is completely stupid because Edward Stringham is so good at that and getting at the heart of one of the biggest objections, law, state, security, and society. Yeah. Um, I uh, said he is the one person I would like to uh, dedicate this book to. That's that's wonderful. And and it is, it's great. I, I love those historic examples are really, really important because they, they do draw us back to, um, to, to thinking like, first of all, it reminds us that our ancestors weren't as dumb as we always, uh, as, as many, especially on the left claim they are. And, it also, um, it, 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 you know, there, there's, there's wisdom in things like, um, well, let me give you an example, um, you know, Paul in, in the New Testament. I mean, there's a reason where, where sometimes he would invoke himself as a Roman, other times as a Jew. He was both, you know, and he was uh -huh. able to maneuver those um, affiliations seamlessly and to his own advantage. Um, and you see that in the medieval world where, where, you know, people would have associations with the church and with the king, but also with their, their Lord, also with, uh, maybe their guild. And you would, you would have, you would, you would, it, instead of binding them down, it actually gave them a monicum of freedom to allow them to maneuver in society. Nice. Yes. The ancient wisdom, very often unappreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, uh, kind of more of a general question, um, and and you know, 
the voluntarist handbook, um, a, a voluntarist, I, I like to use that word to when I, when people ask, you know, what I believe is a political philosophy that, that kind of fits me best. Um, but you know, if I'm, if I'm in a stark, a snarky mood, I'll, I'll say an anarchist. Um, so I'm wondering if there, if that's a, a distinction without a difference or if there, or if you do see a difference between an anarchist and a voluntarist. So on page three of this book, I have a terms section because a very wise man talk about ancient wisdom told me uh, so long ago that the vast majority of disagreements come down to different uh, definitions people are using for the same word. And it took me 10, maybe 15 years to really, really appreciate that. So on page three, I have all the major terms that I use. So when I'm referring to voluntarism, I'm using Auburn Herbert's uh, definition, one of the original founders, which is the moral position which maintains that no peaceful person can justly be submitted to the control of others in the absence of his or her own consent. So we're not talking about volunteering. What we're generally referring to is doing things voluntarily or of your own free will um, and uh, the, having the ability to opt out. So we see this constantly in the main uh, immoral things. We see uh, the difference between murdering someone and killing in self-defense is whether or not a person is threatening you or initiating violence. The difference between trade and theft is consent or whether someone's doing it voluntarily, slavery and employment. People will often say, well, slaves don't get paid. Uh, and that's what really makes it bad. And so the draft isn't slavery because people uh, get compensated. Okay. First of all, uh, if you read Frederick Douglass's biography, I uh, gosh, uh, the the narrative life, I believe it's called by Frederick Douglass. Slaves got paid yeah. every week. They'd go, they got their allowance. That doesn't mean anything. Not to mention they were compensated with free food, free housing, clothing and medical care. That is completely irrelevant as to whether or not it's slavery. It's whether someone's claiming ownership over you and forcing you to perform action or work against your will. So that's why the definitions are so important because it gets down to the root issue. So all these people that think they're so uppity, oh, I not, I'm so against slavery. I believe in reparations today. And then they have a blue and yellow flag supporting Vladimir Zelensky, who has enslaved like a million people into the Ukrainian military with the threat of uh, killing them if they Dessert. And, you know, Putin does the uh, the, the same thing. U.S. Same did thing. it till the yep. 70s, even South Korea. So, Oh, and, the, and trust me, the U.S. holds holds the right to do that. You know, whether they do it now or not, they still will claim it if they need it. Exactly. And one of uh, the things that – I'm sorry, let me also find the anarchist definition. Uh, and when referring to anarchy, the overall system, uh, from the Greek prefix an – meaning without, in the absence of, and the Greek noun archon, master or ruler. Anarchy does not mean without rules. It literally means without rulers, without masters. So the difference between a master and just someone who is uh, very influential in your life is whether or not you voluntarily associate with them. If you look at a lot of people who have drug or alcohol issues, they voluntarily render themselves unto what uh, I guess a progressive would call a dictator, which is they sometimes will go to a place and they say there's no drinking, there's no drugs, 
there's bedtimes, there's check-ins, we get to go through your stuff, and all that's legitimate because that's what that person feels is best for them at the time. Some places don't even allow cursing. So you might think, oh, that's evil tyranny, and that's the same thing as, you know, Joseph Stalin. They completely forget that the inherent difference is whether or not people voluntarily associate with that person or group. So, right. The key really, is, are you free to leave? Exactly. Can exactly. you leave, you know, without, uh, you know, are you able to leave and not be forced back at the point of a gun? That's why it's just so adorable to see Noam Chomsky say corporations are basically, you know, you have basically as much freedom as you do in a gulag, basically as much freedom. It's, I, I mean, it's, I, the fact that he says that with a straight face and he's a serious intellectual, it's like going over to someone's house. That's basically kidnapping uh, go, yeah. going on Mike's podcast. It's basically slavery. I mean, it's work and then slaves work. So it's really the same thing. It, Chomsky has to be one of the great scammers of all time. It's like, he's really good at linguistics and did said some very heroic things like 50 years ago with regards to Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia and the indiscriminate bombing and this horrible nonsense. So it's like, he was good a long time ago, and therefore people assume he's good forever on all issues. You see this today with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Sam Harris. They oh, are sure. great in very narrow fields, and whenever they get out of those fields, they are—they have to be dumber than the average person because they're so overly confident. Oh, uh, oh. In, in in what they're saying, there are so many people that that and the, and those three that you've mentioned in particular. That, that I would consider as idiot savants. Like in their narrow field, they're absolutely brilliant, but holy cow, you get them outside that field and and they sound like my, my you know, my five-year-old. Um, if I had a five-year-old right now. Five-year-olds are way more humble than these pieces of <laughs> well, trash. I mean, literally, I, well, I, I don't know what's so freaking terrible. And this is one of, oh God, I got to find this quote. Uh, chapter 50 of the Volunteer's Handbook is just like a... 200 quotes yeah, that I've great. come across and th that I just love. Um, I don't know why some people can't just say, oh, you know what? That is not something I have uh, looked into. I'd have to uh, give it some thought. Whereas, uh, like, if I think of all the things that I don't know much about at all, they would be um, growing food, cooking food, uh, how water comes uh, to be clean and drinkable, air conditioning, housing. Uh, how things are built. So in other words, like all the things necessary for life, I don't know anything about. But these people can't just admit that they haven't done research on antitrust laws. It's like, well, why is that so d terribly difficult? And then, of course, they, they're they always saying, oh, well, the science says, or something like that. And I go, would you really buy it if I just said, well, the economics says, yeah. uh, yada, yada, yada. And the conclusion is I get a ton of power over you. Would you just but, blindly but, ever believe that trash? But the problem is, is there's too many people who still believe the media. And because, the, you know, what's the definition of an expert? The expert is somebody who lives 100 miles away with a briefcase. And, <laughs> and the media treats these people as if they're experts on everything. And so they, they prop them up and people say, well, Fauci said this or, or, or Harris said this or so-and-so said this. And, and it's like, wait a sec we've got to be able to think for ourselves and figure this stuff out. And, and that's what I really appreciate about the, the political philosophy of volunteerism is it does put, you know, the buck stops here. Like if I make a decision that's poor, 
you know, that's going to, that, that's, that's going to have consequences towards me and mine. And so it's important me, for me to have a conservative lowercase c outlook on the risks that I take um, and, you know, how I govern my life. Um, and so, because, because if there's no, um, you know, and then, then of course there, there, there comes, okay, so what are the affiliations that we, that we associate with? And most people would think of, well, you know, state or uh, county, federal, and no, the, the, if you really think when the buck is on, gets down to it, it's going to be family, church, um, you know, friends, neighbors, those are the people that will stand by you when I guarantee you the person that will not stand by you is the guy in the blue suit who's pulling you over for not wearing a mask. Yeah, really. Uh, you could uh, just ask them to uh, fulfill the protect and serve obligation, and you just start giving them orders. I mean, yeah. you're here to serve me. I pay your salary. I'm sort of like a customer. Uh, not exactly how I get treated when I'm a customer at a restaurant or a customer at a supermarket. Right. So, uh, okay, so one of the big things is, um, you know, uh, the, all these uh, criticisms about government, yeah, they apply, but um, the, the, there's a solution. And what you do is you get people informed. Okay, we don't agree with what people are informed about with regard to a virus that started in 2019, or God knows when it started or where, but uh, right. <laughs> we can't get people to agree on that or what it means to even be informed on this one narrow specific, not even all of virology, one virus. And these people are like, yeah, we're just going to get everyone to agree. So uh, on, uh, you know, economics and history and morality and logic, it, it, it's just so ridiculous. So whenever they say that we're pie in the sky utopians for having no double standard for government. Well, uh, you are the biggest pie in the sky people. Uh, it's like the ultimate fool's errand. We're going to get everyone informed. So Brian Kaplan, uh, PhD uh, economist, wrote a book called The Myth of the Rational Voter. I, I uh, took a quote from him, and here's page 283 of the Voluntarist Handbook. He says, what voters don't know could fill a university library in the last few decades, economists who study politics have thrown fuel on the fire by pointing out that, selfishly speaking, Voters are not making a mistake. One has so small a probability of affecting electoral outcomes that a realistic egoist pays no attention to politics. He chooses to be, in economic jargon, rationally ignorant. So you could spend 1,000 hours of your scarce time on the planet researching, uh, whatever, climate change, the minimum wage, antitrust laws, agriculture subsidies, and if you take all that time, you still get like a one in five million vote. God knows if it's even counted. And right. usually these things are called. It's like, well, um, it, there's a, they're reporting 50% already and there's a gap. So we're actually going to call it for this guy. So before even like the votes are counted, they decide who is going to win. And the most ignorant person completely cancels out your vote. So even in like the most moral society, it doesn't make sense to have a state where there's voting. Uh, so th the idea that democracy is something that uh, we should be bragging about or trying to preserve, no, th there's uh, th there's no reason to, uh, to, to do so because you can still benefit even if you're not voting. In fact, you benefit more. For example, there's this brother uh, printer sitting next to me, and I was never consulted on how any of this thing 
uh, gets made. I didn't vote on how it's made or what the price is going to be, but I benefit extremely from it because they face competition and they're trying to please consumers to make money. So the idea that, well, we need a government democracy because we need our preferences represented. Uh, preferences are far more uh, represented in the free market than they are anywhere else. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about what, you know, I going through your introduction, um, you, you talk about um, the double standard that we have when it comes to us versus the state. And, and the example um, is, is for example, we, you know, we, we all tend to agree that thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal those type of things. And I'm paraphrasing you here, um, you know, are bad and we shouldn't do them and we should not allow, you know, our, our neighbors to do them to us. Um, how, however, we seem to give a pass on those things to government. And it's really, and, and on its face, I mean, if just said that starkly, people might, might go think, well, what do you mean? And, and, you know, everything that the government does is either incarceration, theft, or murder. And so, um, you know, just take those three broad moral issues and say, okay, what can, you know, what is good for me is, is not, is not good for the type of a thing. Like, I, I love that, that, that you point that out, that there is a huge double standard and hypocrisy with how we think about ourselves and the morality that we have and the, and the, the government and its, you know, quote unquote morality. Exactly. And, and it's so important because it's one of the things you can, I don't know if prove is necessarily the right word, but you can really show people the importance of it, uh, especially if you just take whatever standard they have for the government and apply it to you or them or any other group. They're like, well, you know, uh, the taxation and the, the, these things are legitimate because, you know, there's costs and but there's also benefits and you get things in return and they really help out. You know, any group that taxed trillions of dollars every single year would benefit by definition, even if they lit all the money on fire, that would help with inflation. It would lower the money supply. So each vet dollar would be more valuable for savers. So the idea that uh, it, you can't just apply anything, it, there's not a single thing you can apply that uh, makes governments unique to any other organization where people are like, oh yeah, that's that, that's totally legitimate. Or else I would just issue taxes for a living against all the people who downvote my videos or uh, yeah. have said something to me that I didn't like on <laughs> social media. I'd say, all right, well, I'm taxing 10% of your income. You, you don't even need to like straw man them or do a reductio ad absurdum. I'm just going to take 10% of your income every year. You don't give it to me and I'm going to cage you. And in exchange, I'm going to create or fund libertarianinstitute.org, which is a free educational library of History, economics, philosophy, logic, propaganda analysis, videos, podcasts, blogs, articles. So I'm creating something in exchange. So you now don't get to complain when I issue taxes or the Catholic Church issues taxes. Have you seen some of the cathedrals the church has built? They're absolutely beautiful. And they benefit all the people who live near them because they attract tourists and everything. So Catholic Church gets to issue taxes. Goodwill provides... Uh, entry-level jobs and products and services for a lot of poor people. So they benefit society, so they get to issue taxes. 
Amazon certainly helps the poor by increasing their access to goods and services and giving small business a place to increase their sales. So uh, everyone gets to issue taxes. And the second you hold um, the same standard for anyone else that people hold the state to every day, that's when you see the pushback. Even though two seconds ago, it wasn't a big deal. And actually, you're kind of like cheap for opposing this. Like, just pay. Everyone else is doing it. Just uh, just get over it. But then the second you try to do what the state does every day, all of a sudden it becomes immoral. It's like, hey, you know, violence is a part of life. War is hell. So, you know, you, you can't get too mad at the military for murdering people. All right, then stop getting mad when there are so-called shootings that take place. Violence is a part of life. Life is hell. Things happen. Nothing you can do about it. But there's still innocent people dying, regardless of whether it's a private citizen, a group of people, a group called government, or a group called Mexican drug cartel. Same principle applies. Yep. Absolutely. And 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 the truth is there is there is no difference between the mob running a protection racket and the police. Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. Morally, intellectually, you can't you can't there is no difference. Um, you know, you 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 know, you, really, hey, you know, really nice car you got here. Um, do you have the right paperwork on it? Hmm, let me see. I hate that something were to go wrong with that. <laughs> so one of the questions that comes up is, well, you know, why don't uh, people get informed? It's in their interest. They want a good government, which we answered earlier, because the cost of getting informed is very high and the positive effect you'll have is almost non-existent. So what is it that's really driving this political thing? Why is it that these people are getting mad and screaming by the thousands about something that they don't have like the basics on. So on page 277, I quote Robin Hansen. He says, political behavior, it's Robin Hansen and Kevin Simler, excuse me. Political behavior is largely driven by coalition loyalty, wanting to appear loyal to the groups around us. It's also in many ways a performance. Politics, like religion, is a team sport. Some treat expressive voting as an act of consumption, something we do in order to feel good without concern for external benefits. In this view, voting is seen as providing a psychological reward, like getting to affirm one's identity or feel a sense of belonging. Benefits come not from voting per se, but rather from all the activities surrounding the election, like attending rallies, posting to social media, and watching election coverage with friends and family. So really- That's so right on. That is so right on. What is important there is that we have to realize that while, you know, I- my show is very dedicated to trying to be an educational aspect of life. We have to realize it's also a psych psychological war that when people are involved or very passionate in sports or their church, I don't see the solution as saying, you guys need to find out about libertarianism and then have them replace their identity. It's about them embracing that and easily saying, just don't have double standards for the state. If I can't do it, then I sure as heck can't vote for a government to do it on my behalf. So there's a very low buy-in, which is why us spreading these ideas is not only right, but well, it's also it, realistic. You know, people think we, that, oh, it's so unrealistic. Everyone abides by 
this principle of voluntary exchange and original appropriation, and it's just not going to happen. Uh, also, by the way, everyone is going to follow thousands of laws that are thousands of pages long that uh, even though uh, the courts don't even agree on how to implement the laws or what they actually say, but yeah, everyone's going to agree to that, and then everyone's going to get informed, and we're all going to read the laws, and we're all going to vote. It, they have the most unrealistic ideology maybe ever. <laughs> And uh, and they call us unrealistic for just saying, eh, don't have double standards. But but Keith, I I think you and I think you nailed it. The the um, if we, realizing that your strongest bonds are not with a flag, are not with a um, a federal government that's you know. A, thousands of miles away, not even with the state government that's hundreds of miles away, um, not even with the city government that's tens of miles away, but your strongest bonds are with your family, your neighbors, your associations, the, the people that you work with, your religion, and that those bonds are far, far more important than, any, than your party, than your um, political affiliation. Like those are the important things that 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 you know when you're on your deathbed are you going oh man you know i got unless you're andrew jackson i killed the bank no but are you thinking are you are you, are you thinking oh man if if only if only trump would have won in 2020 <laughs> i mean who Dude. does that yeah. you know the, but but we but when when we compare that with how we treat our day to day, where we're listening to Glenn Beck, where we're we're talking about, you know, what what who's who's the speaker of the house? I don't even know because somehow that drama, that um, that that political theater, like just just is like a virus in our mind, and we forget the things that are truly important, and and I. The I think as libertarians, as people involved in the libertarian in the liberty move, it's really important that we help remind people that no, your neighbor who is sick is the person that's really more important. You know the, oh, yeah. the you know being able for um, you to, to to grow a garden in your front yard is really way more important than the state getting you know having their little the little. Uh, law about that. Do you see what I mean? Like, like it's, that's, that's the, that's is a one, not, you know, there's a lot of keys, but that's one of the keys I think to helping people realize or open their eyes to the idea that, you know, we, we, we can't be under this rule <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Well, and um, the reason that it's so important for us to appreciate is when we say, you know, that uh, basically everyone, regardless of race, nationality, geographical area, should embrace should embrace at least this principle of voluntarism. That's not being an imperialist or saying we therefore need to control the entire culture. It's having basic freaking standards yeah. for everyone, not having double standards. And the great uh, news is you don't have to lose your identity. That's what I'm trying to do in the introduction when I say, uh, so you care about, uh, say, Christianity. I'm not saying you're totally wrong, ditch everything, admit you've been wrong about everything. Just take these standards that you already have according to you and apply them consistently. If you're a progressive who is against exploitation, who believes in justice, anything that makes the state a unique institution is far from equal since you're against inequality. Some people have the right to rule others and there's no contract. And if the other people try to rule them, 
like to, to take January 6th, for example, government gets to, you know, invade people's houses, murder them all the time, no knock raids and based on victimless crimes. But some people going into the Capitol without a written permission slip for a couple hours was like the greatest tragedy. CNN has a documentary on the two year anniversary. I keep forgetting to watch that, by the way. Adam Kinzinger said it, this was just unreal. It was spellbounding. And I go, it's going to be the greatest piece of propaganda, maybe uh, since, gosh, what, what what was the last greatest real piece of propaganda? It had to know. have been something that, uh, in Obama. It had to be something campaign. 2001 related or something, you know. Oh yeah, yeah that, uh, that that would probably top it. I guess it was just because I was uh, first like getting interested in the politics when Obama was going. So that's like oh my, yeah yeah. So, the, so that's my uh, sort of reference point. But um, just watching uh, an uh, SNL skit last night of Joe Biden debating you know Tina Fey uh, as the Sarah Palin character, it was just like so. Uh, even as they're trying to make jokes about it, it's like look. Biden and Obama are the professionals. Palin and McCain are so obviously ridiculous. It's not even close. We got to get the adults in the room. And then Obama wins. The Democrats get the House. The Democrats get the Senate. And they're just more miserable than ever. The one thing that they pass, Obamacare, they never brag about. I mean, they never work it into any conversations because it, uh, oh, it increased failed. the cost of health care because it outlawed uh, competitors and tons of people lost their insurance, even though we promised they wouldn't. So th that's another one of the amazing things. Uh, you know, that that, you, can, you can give so people funny. My, all the wins they want, and they're still miserable. Absolutely. If uh, the Obamacare thing is so funny, I remember I wore a costume for Halloween that year. It was um, the Error four hundred four No Costume Found uh, error because of all the all the problems <laughs> that with the with the uh, Obamacare website stuff. <laughs> yes. Know. Yeah. And you know, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Galifianakis had um, Obama on his show between two ferns and Obama works in a plug for Obamacare. And he's like, well, uh, th there, uh, I will admit. And I'm, I like stopped time and I'm like, Oh my gosh, is he actually going to say what I think he's going to say? <laughs> there are people uh, uh, between uh, seven and nine million who lost health insurance, and that was this big scandal. And then Jonathan Gruber came out and said it passed because of the ignorance of the American people, whatever. And, and Obama <laughs> goes, I will admit there were some problems with the website at first. <laughs> <laughs> It was just so classic. Oh. It's the abusive husband who says, honey, I got to come clean. I'll admit it. I didn't put oil in the, in, in the car before 3,000 miles. I waited too long. It's like, really? That's your admission. Oh, that's beautiful. That's that's exactly right. You know, I think um, <laughs> the, the um, oh, I wanted to ask you, sorry. Um, I wanted to ask you, so the, the purpose of what, what prompted you to write the book? Like, why did you think, Hey, this is a missing. And I do think it's really important. I hope people will go to the libertarian Institute. I'll have the link in the description, go to the link, check it out. He's offering it really generously offering it in PDF form for free. Um, and I would also recommend to donate to the libertarian Institute. Um, and, uh, um, you know, if you find that the information valuable, educational, helpful, Man, please make a donation because because it's this it it's that kind of this kind of work that's really important right now. Um, but what what prompted you to write the book in the first place? 
Well, uh, th thank you for uh, saying that. And uh, if people, it's uh, 318 pages, I think. If you want to get a summary, the first two pages, the introduction, and the last two pages, the afterward, are me trying to summarize all the 50 essays that are in the book. So I know people have jobs, people got other obligations, or they might be bored of it. You can get a free summary of the book, go to the PDF and read the two introduction pages and the two afterward pages. That is the best way to get the gist of what of uh, my general thesis here. Now, uh, my thesis uh, is simply through other people's works. So I try making the case by saying, look, I originally was a progressive and now I'm a libertarian. Here are the 50 essays which changed my mind. And the problem is some essays or books are like really long. So I go, well, should I put all of Bastiat's, you know, 1850 uh, essay, The Law in there? I go, that sort of goes on. So what I did instead is I took books like The Most Dangerous Superstition, uh, The Law by Bastiat, uh, No Treason by Lysander Spooner, um, Right and Wrong, Compulsion of the State by Auburn Herbert. And I just have uh, two or three pages of my favorite quotes from those books. So it's extremely efficient in how you can remember the most important aspects of these huge books that take a long time to read. You get 10 or 20 quotes and you get the gist of uh, what these people are talking about. So because it was, uh, I wanted something that I could proudly say, look, I know you guys had me go to 12 years of your schools and I never got to thank you, whatever. I'm not going to ask you for 12 years of your time and then four more years of university, what I'm going to do is ask that you read one book and I'm going to make it super easy to read. I'm going to take, you know, out all the things that I don't think are uh, valuable. And I'm saying this is, if I could pick one book for everyone in the world to read, that's the book I want to make. And that's what uh, the, this book is. So um, Michael Malice really uh, motivated me because he wrote, uh, uh, he organized the anarchist handbook. And I go, gosh, there's a lot that I really like in here. Um, but God, I wish he would do this. I wish he wouldn't have done that. This should have been shorter and this shouldn't have been inserted. And I go, uh, how about I shut up and be the change I want to see in the world instead of complaining about a guy who has done more for anarchism uh, probably yesterday than I ever will. So that's why I made this. Uh, that, that was my general reasoning. Uh, one of the questions I ask a lot of the people I interview on my show is if you could re recommend one book for everyone to read, what would that book be? And it's an attempt to everyone hates the question, which is a bonus because that's fun. Everyone's like, oh, that's too constraining. The problem is, is that when you're talking to an audience that's constantly getting recommended podcasts to listen to, videos to watch, books to read, articles to check out, that they don't have the time. But if if, if I recommend five or six books, they don't know which one to start with. But if I say, look, there is one book, if, uh, I'd love you to read like 50 or 60 that uh, I really enjoy. But if I just had one, here's what it is. And for me, it's uh, that's why I created it, uh, the Voluntarist Handbook. No, I, I love it. And I love books like this because it, it does. It, it gives you like the Reader's Digest version. It gives you like just some really great insights. Um, I have my friend on uh, uh, Joey Wolverton and he wrote The Founder's Recipe, which is kind of the same idea where he's taken the the um uh the the real significant influencers on the founding fathers and and um uh you know kind of oh. compiled them in, into that book and it's a really really important book to see how um liberty minded they 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 
we're up to a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, anyway. it, it just goes to show you, I mean, a- anyone given that amount of power is going to l- totally get corrupted. And I, I absolutely include myself in that. Uh, I, I mean, just a wild, um, you know, caveats would be someone like Ron Paul, but even Ron Paul voted for, um, the, Ron Paul's a hero. I love him. He's been on my show. I'm so thankful for everything. But e- the lesson is that even he, voted for intervening in Afghanistan, a 20-year war, uh, trillions of dollars, and tens of thousands of civilian lives, tons of PTSD, got young kids getting their limbs blown off. And the reality is, is that the Taliban didn't want Osama bin Laden there. He was a big stinking liability. They were ready to hand him over to any third country. But George Bush admits in his book Decision Points that he only asked that to show their defiance to rally the world around uh, the invasion of Afghanistan in hopes that it would be a quick victory and then they could uh, go on to Iraq right after. So even like the best guy, Ron Paul, in the most justified war since the beginning of all wars, Afghanistan, we got to go in because of 9-11, the war was unjust. And uh, whether you look at it from the economic standpoint or the, the moral standpoint, uh, the Afghan war, the best wars are still unjust and the best people still are going to make the wrong decision. So, which is um, why we, we yeah. which is why any kind of power like that is unauthorized power. Yeah. yeah it, it just is. You, we have, we, we can't think of it as like, we can't allow people to have that kind of. The, that kind of power over us and over, you know, what, what we're doing there, because you're right. Like people get put in impossible positions and, and unless there, if, if there's no, um, if, you know, if, if there's no money to steal in the, um, on the shelf, you know, that money isn't going to get stolen. You know what Certainly. I mean? Like, like we, we giving them even, even through the constitution, giving them that power just messed things up and corrupted and and put us into a funny uh into a funny house that that we've been fighting for you know over 200 years and really i mean that's the, that's the history of western of culture is how do we how do we get ourselves out of the funny box called tyranny one of the most uh important uh, i should stop saying that because i realize i say it so often it's just fake if it's in here, I went out of my way because it's important. But right, right. there is an essay, a uh, short article in here. Gosh, I'm blanking on the name. I think it's called The Power Vacuum Argument by Larkin Rose, page 170. He talks about the concept of warlord. So, so it's like the idea of, well, you know, people can't be trusted with that power. But the reality is, is that that power's there, always has been, and always will be. What Larkin Rose does such a good job of doing is saying thing uh in one way people are actually quite right about that but in another way they are dead wrong the only reason power vacuums exist is because most people think there should be and has to be a ruling class a supreme set of lawmakers a government if for example washington dc just fell into the atlantic today a new government would grow but not because of magic or human nature or because the universe makes them appear but because people who believe in authority will keep creating new classes. So the, it would literally be the equivalent of me walking around in like a Burger King crown, declaring myself king. That's right. I have declared myself king. 
and Biden has declared himself president. And King, you'd think, is higher than that. So since I've declared it, I must be calling all the shots. The problem is, is that I wouldn't have the power simply because I don't have general public opinion behind me. So we just are trying to switch people's general public opinion that democracy and the state are legitimate to the non-aggression principle is the standard default, the least you can do to have a society. Talk to me about the Libertarian Institute. What is it and and uh, how? what's your affiliation with it? I know you're the managing editor, but um, how did um, how did that come about? The uh, story originated with Scott Horton and Sheldon Richmond and a guy named William Grigg. They got together and just wanted a place where they could archive all of their research, where they could send people to really get uh, the idea of what true libertarianism actually is. Now, what it uh, is today is a free educational archive is the best way to think about it. You not only get the news or a, uh, a the other side of things like the war in Ukraine or provoking China in a war over Taiwan. Uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable. After they lose a 20-year war in Afghanistan, they're like, yeah, we might have to go to war with uh, China over Taiwan. We might have to go to war with Iran if they start developing nukes. And uh, we might have to go to war with Russia over Donetsk and Luhansk. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable how crazy these people are. So the Libertarian Institute has a news feed where we try to combat some of the propaganda going on in the press and with politicians. We also have articles that get into philosophy, which give people an important fundamental outlook. So when you hear something like, there's a new plan called the Green New Deal, if you have a philosophical understanding or a historical understanding, which we also try to provide, you are not going to fall for such a scam. The analogy I recently used was, um, you know, Maybe there is a guy in Nigeria who just needs $1,000 now, and he'll give me $5,000 once he gets back to America. But it's such a common scam that is so frequent that there's no need to even look into it. Just delete the email. It's a scam and move on. That is the exact outlook you will have if you properly understand history. You're never going to fall for these government scams. If they were so good and so valuable, people would have funded them voluntarily. But we'll just have a thing that you could chip into. Uh, the church is a great example of how people can voluntarily chip in and the poor can still get access to this thing that's voluntarily funded. So we're trying to uh, change general public opinion by creating a free educational archive at libertarianinstitute.org. You got podcasts, you have videos, some are five hours long, some are 30 seconds long. Um, we have articles, we have blogs, we have a collection of documents relating to the uh, Oklahoma City incident, a lot of uh, important research going on, a uh, lot to do with uh, foreign policy, um, changing uh, public opinion on uh, on the big wars too. It's not just Iraq was a blunder, just like the, the, the throwaway line that, I mean, if someone invaded America and was like murdering civilians and it, you know, killed the president, invaded the capital, and then killed the president and had regime change, would we be like, ah, that blunder? No, we'd say this is completely <laughs> evil psychopathy based on lies and it's theft funded and we should be totally resisting this. Um, uh, so, so we try not to mince words. We try not to waste anyone's time. Some of our articles are very short because we just want to get to the point. Whereas, I mean, if you read some of these other websites, it's like, 
it so clearly was like, it has to be a minimum of 1000 words. And they just go on about something completely not respecting the reader's time. So Libertarian Institute is a free educational research archive that also provides things like uh, what's going on around the world. And we do our very, very, very best to respect the reader's time. That's why it's important. Fantastic. Um, we'll definitely check that out and, and also check out your podcast, the, the uh, Do Not Tread on Anyone podcast. Um, and... Uh, and and Keith, this is you. We are talking to Keith Knight, uh, managing editor at the Libertarian Institute, author of the Voluntarist Handbook. Um, I am grateful for this book. This is such a, a wonderful book. This would definitely be in my top uh, books for people to to get an idea of of what the Liberty Movement is. Oh, I wanted to ask you uh, um, one thing you mentioned as you were describing the Libertarian Institute is is the the main objective was to try to find out what true libertarianism is. Um, you know, how would you define that? Um, other than just people just read the book, but, but if you were to, to, to sum that up in, in a sentence or two, you know, how would you define it as a, I mean, or would you define it as a political philosophy or how would you define what is libertarianism? I would say it's the moral position, which maintains that it's illegitimate to initiate aggression against non-aggressors that gets to the heart of it. Um, and that, uh, I, I think that speaks for itself, but the, the problem is that people hear that and say, oh yeah, I'm, uh, th that's something I'm totally for. And they won't appreciate that, uh, the implication there is that uh, the existence of a state is, uh, it, what makes the state a unique institution is that it claims the right to do that. There's a lot of things it does, has people in suits, has buildings, funds roads, funds educational or schooling facilities, but that's not what makes it a unique institution. So the libertarian simply uh, doesn't have a double standard for states or groups or other individuals. And the reason uh, that their primary motivation is because what makes a state unique is it claims the right to initiate violence against peaceful people, a principle we clearly see is unjustified in cases of kidnapping, rape, slavery, theft, all of those are illegitimate because they violate consent. And that is what also makes uh, the state illegitimate. So that's what being a libertarian really is about. It's the hatred of aggressors and the empathy and sympathy for the victims of aggression. Always hate the bully. That's, um, what is your, um, I was, oh my gosh, I had, anyway, um, I am grateful to have, to have you on. Um, and, and again, you know, check out the link, check out the book, the voluntarist handbook. Um, what was one thing that you maybe, as you're putting this book together, specific to your book that either surprised you or that you learned, or what was, what was one thing that, that, um, um, that you gained out of putting this book together? an appreciation for authors because, oh my gosh, I thought this book would take two weeks to make. I'm like, well, I already got the stuff. I'll just go through my old books and, you know, find the things I want to put in. Then in a week or two, I'll get it uh, done. Maybe three weeks in case, you know, something pops up. This thing took me like one year from, from the day that I decided to start doing it. Of course, it's 15 years of reading and research. So 
it really made me appreciate uh, the amount of effort that goes into making a book and uh, all the more reason to make sure that you don't waste your time and, uh, you know, screw everything up with the, well, I put so much time, I'm just going to publish it as it is. Because then people are not going to appreciate it and then that'll ruin your reputation and then you've wasted all your time. So it really made me appreciate that if you put a lot of energy and effort into something, make sure it's something that you're really willing to stand behind because then it'll actually be worth it and you can promote it without, you know, the caveat of, uh, some people like it, some people don't. I'm just like, look, here's the reality. You want to see through the entire mainstream media? I got a chapter in there by Dr. Michael Humer and he's, he walks you through 14 of the most important logical fallacies you'll ever come across. So even even if you say, you come uh, out and say, you know what, I'm not convinced of voluntarism for whatever nonsense uh, excuse people have, um, you can at least say, you know what, but those were some interesting arguments. That that was something that I didn't consider. And how is it that the fair and balanced media and this unbiased media always bragging about how other people have biases and uh, and as opposed to us? Why isn't that I've at least heard some of these arguments? Why is it that, you know, they always say monopolies are so bad and the free market's bad, it creates monopolies. And then they advocate the state to monopolize the money supply. It's like, yep. how come it's like there has to be a good answer because, I mean, there's a government in every country. So surely someone's thought of this. And then you can dig for years and realize, oh, my God, there is not a good answer. One of Thomas Sowell's takeaways uh, in a book titled Black Rednecks and White Liberals, he says, here is the two lessons from slavery. One is that uh, people with great amounts of unchecked power will always abuse it. So even on a very small scale, this is why Democrats are wrong to say, well, we just need the everyday masses to have the power. Nope, it, it, it's going to be uh, equally as abused as if it were just, you know, Fauci and Biden and Klaus Schwab. So the average person's going to justify killing and enslaving. Look how the average person justifies wars or drone strikes and then salutes the military. It's like, uh, yes, when people are given that amount of power, it's... Um, it's going to go wrong and they're going to abuse it and then justify it to themselves. Second lesson, he says, is how bad things can last for so long, how really, really bad things can apply to a lot of, lot of millions of people throughout all of history simply because people uh, didn't care to think or reconsider it. He said, most people believed in the legitimacy of slavery because they never really contemplated it since the beginning of time. But once people really started to question it, then its days were uh, were numbered and people had the you know firing power to resist uh, slave kidnappers and everything. So uh, that's all to say that there are examples of things that everyone has been wrong about for a really long time and the answer is right in front of them. And I think the next thing that uh, people are going to admit uh, that everyone's been wrong about is the legitimacy of the state. And I think uh, th this book does uh, the best job. I, I did the very best job I could to uh, to, to really make uh, that case. So even if you're not convinced by it, I still try not to uh, waste the reader's time. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. The, the next moral paradigm is for people to realize the illegitimacy of the state. Um, and that, and that, I, you know, I pray that will happen sooner than later, but that, that's, 
I, I'm totally, and your, and your book is a fa fabulous tool. I think another um, important aspect of your book is it gives people who think like us um, um, comfort. And here's what I mean. Like when you, when you start reading um, the essays that you put together and the names that, that, you know, from Wal Walter Williams, uh, Jeff Dice, Rothbard, of course, you know, all these guys, you start to put together these powerhouse names um, and, and realize, um, and as you do your own, as I've done, let me just speak for myself, as I've done my own research and realized that um, the really, really, really great thinkers, the, I mean, the great ones, the Thoreau's, the Tolkien's, the um, Tolstoy's, the Emerson, uh, the, uh, all these guys have at some point come to the realization that some form of anarchism, that some form of voluntarism is the only moral political theory available. Preach. <laughs> yeah good call hey. man thanks for yeah. having me on dude i appreciate it thank you so much keith and i and man this has been a blast again check out the link check out his book the voluntarist handbook check out his podcast and the libertarian institute much blessings man take care take care you are listening to and if love remains first of 23 installments requested by dr levitt trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization down.